Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you I am well. So we have been in the book of Luke now for several weeks and I, had, and I think I've even said this before on a Sunday, uh, I had originally thought we'd get through Luke in a year. We're probably on a two-year pace right now. I thought we'd be somewhere in Luke chapter 5 or 6, and yet we're still in Luke chapter 3. And today we're covering two verses. Uh, so we're actually covering more ground than that. We're just focusing on uh, two verses as we move through the story of John the Baptist and Jesus being baptized. So before we move into these uh, two verses that Carla read for us earlier today and we think about the fact that Jesus was baptized, I want us to think about the ministry of John the Baptist, which we talked about last week. So what did we see in, in his ministry? What was it that he was about? Well, as we read John, or sorry, Luke chapter 3, verse 3, we kind of got the purpose statement for John's ministry. He says that he has come proclaiming baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. And last week we broke that down into three parts. We looked at it as baptize, repent, and uh, what it is to seek forgiveness. As we talked about baptism, we looked at it as a sign of being cleaned. We, we talked about Exodus and how the people uh, washed their clothes and were consecrated and purified before they received the, the, the law. So there is this idea here of purification and dedication as we come forward in baptism. And we talked about the word repentance and what it means to repent. And that to repent is to have a change of mind. It is a change of mind. So when we talk about repentance in light of faith in Jesus Christ, it is the idea that we recognize Jesus Christ as Lord of our lives. And as the Lord and boss, he's the one who gets to decide what's right and wrong. And so what we want to do is take his side against our sin. We have a change of mind that no longer seeks to justify our behavior, but says Christ is right. He gets to identify it. That's wrong. And then we talked about how there is a, an act of the will that says, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm turning from it. It's not just about emotions, okay? It's not just about feeling bad about what we've done. It's emotion partnered with a change of mind that leads to a willful action away from sin. Now, we also talked about that, that he prepared the way for the Lord uh, by telling the people to seek forgiveness from sin. And as we talked about this idea of forgiveness and we unpacked what forgiveness was, we, we talked about how it was, it's about a restored relationship. Our sin has broken our relationship with God. We, we seek forgiveness from Lord and, the Lord in order to repair that relationship. All of this so that we are prepared to hear from the Lord and to receive the Lord when he comes. Then we talked about this. We talked about how true repentance is not, like I said, not only a change of mind, but a change of action. And we'll remember, what did the crowd say when they heard this message? The, the crowd said, what shall we do? And there was a great emphasis on the word do. And we looked then at the three responses from, from uh, John. And essentially they boiled down to this. What should we do 
to follow uh, the Lord, to repent of our sin and, and be prepared for his coming. It's stop being selfish and using your authority to your own advantage. Instead, start being generous, gracious, and kind. Now, all this was John preparing the way for the Lord. But in our passage today that we read earlier, what do we see? The Lord came. Jesus Christ showed up. So what happened when Jesus Christ showed up? Well, the, the fact of the matter is, Luke doesn't talk about it very much. Two verses, right? That, that's what we get. What happens when the Lord shows up? We get two verses. Okay, but well, what do we know? What do we know? Well, first, uh, Luke tells us that Jesus himself was baptized. Jesus was baptized. Now, is it just me? Or does that seem a little weird that Jesus was baptized? Now, think about what the ministry of John the Baptist was. It was baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. And yet Jesus comes to John the Baptist to be baptized. What does he have to repent of? I mean, that's kind of weird, right? Now, we just I want to make this abundantly clear that Scripture teaches Jesus Christ had nothing to repent of. So Jesus did not come to receive a baptism of repentance. There might be some out there who say, well, you know, Jesus came to John because he had to repent of his own sins. And really, this is the moment where Jesus became God's son because he repented of his sin and then the Spirit came. And they want to make this a scene of Jesus, a human, being adopted as God's son. And what, we're, what I want you guys to see, and I'll show you this in just a second, is Scripture teaches that Jesus was always sinless. He didn't repent of anything. And what we're going to see today as we unpack our passage and as we talk about Jesus' baptism and what happens here is that Jesus was God's son and Jesus is God's son. Jesus is fully God as we've seen shown in Luke and he's fully man. We see both of these things put together. Well, how do we know though that Jesus came not pursuing repentance, that he had nothing to repent from? Let's look at several passages this comes from 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 22. It says, He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. We see in 1 John chapter 3, verse 5, You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Stick a, stick a finger in that verse in Hebrews chapter 4. We'll probably see it next week as we look at the temptation of Jesus. And also look at 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. It says this, For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, who what? Who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. All right. Now, I think then it's easy to see that Jesus didn't need to be baptized. He didn't need to be baptized. And I suppose that if Scripture didn't record the baptism of Jesus, then most of our theology wouldn't change. Yet, all four Gospels tell us that Jesus was 
baptize. And all four Gospels make a similar point about his baptism. And all four Gospels place the episode of Jesus' baptism at the beginning of his earthly ministry. This tells us something. Jesus' baptism is no minor thing. Jesus' baptism is no minor thing. So, if Jesus didn't need to be baptized, then why was he? And why was it such a big deal? So today what we're going to do is we're going to look at three purposes for Jesus' baptism. Three purposes for Jesus' baptism. And for those of you who want to write them down at the beginning, I'm going to give them to you now. I should have put them in a slide, and I didn't do that. I'm sorry. All right, so purpose number one, Jesus' baptism is the inauguration of his public ministry. It's the inauguration of his public ministry. Said another way, it's the beginning. It's the beginning of his public ministry. Second purpose, Jesus is declared the Son of God at his baptism. Jesus is declared the Son of God at his baptism. And then the third purpose is actually not found in Luke. We'll be pulling that from Matthew chapter 3. Jesus is uh, actually did need to be baptized. So what, what is it? The last one is Jesus actually did need to be baptized. So what was his purpose? Uh, he needed to be baptized, and we're going to see that it is to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus needed to be baptized to fulfill all righteousness. All right, let's look at this first purpose. His baptism is the inauguration of his public ministry. Jesus' baptism is the inauguration of his public ministry. All right, now, in all four Gospels, all four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, this is the first time that Jesus appears as an adult. Now, we see him as a baby in both Matthew and Luke. We see him as a 12-year-old in Luke. But in all four Gospels, this is the first time that Jesus shows up as an adult. Now, the Gospel of John gives us some clear insight into what happened with Jesus and the purpose of John's ministry along with why his baptism is such a pivotal point. All right, so John's gospel makes it clear that Jesus came to John the Baptist. And for those of you who just need to know this, John's gospel and John the Baptist, those are two different Johns. Okay, so John the Baptist is a different John than the guy who wrote the gospel of John. All right, so John's gospel makes it clear that Jesus came to John the Baptist in part to make himself known. He came to make himself known. So let's look at John chapter 1, verses 29 through 31. It says this, The next day he, that's John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might, what? Be revealed to Israel. Now, John uh, the Baptist had become quite famous in this region, okay? At minimum, at minimum, if he wasn't famous, he was at least a spectacle that people wanted to come and check out. But most people regarded John the Baptist as a true prophet. So people were coming from all over to see uh, John, to hear his message, to repent and be baptized. 
Uh, Luke chapter 3 verse 7 tells us that he was drawing crowds of people to him. Matthew chapter 3 verse uh, 5 tells us that people were coming from all over the region. They were coming out from Jerusalem, coming out from the cities into the wilderness by the crowds to see John the Baptist and hear what he has to say. Now, the baptism of Jesus is the first time that he shows up in public as an adult. Now, I want you to think about this. I want you to think about John the Baptist's ministry and Jesus emerging at this time. Now, John had earned, he had earned the trust of the people. And he had begun to prepare their hearts to hear the truth. Crowds had come to hear John, and John recognized, right, recognized that one was coming after him who was greater than himself. And he says that he came so that he could reveal who Jesus was to Israel. All right, so Jesus' baptism was the point where John says, this is why I was sent. The Lamb is here. The Lamb is here. Now, all the infant stories that we saw in Matthew and and Luke, and the story that we saw of Jesus as a 12-year-old, all work together to build a foundation that, that comes together at this point. Luke wants us to know that the man, the man, Jesus, had an origin story. The man, Jesus, had an origin story with human beginnings. But what we're going to see happen today is the story shifts a little bit. We're supposed to be asking the question, what happened to this kid? Right? How did this child turn out? What has he become? Luke wants us to see that even though Jesus was God's son, he didn't merely step out of heaven and just show up on earth someday. All right, He's not just fully God, he's fully man. But at the same time, he doesn't want us to lose lose track of the fact that, yes, he's fully man with human origins, human beginnings, he grew up, but he is also fully man. God. This boy is now a man, and now we see his ministry and his purpose begin to unfold. And we'll see in just a few minutes that he that Luke doesn't want us to be confused, but he wants us to be assured that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, Luke 3 tells us that John the Baptist's ministry was a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of of sins. But what we read in John chapter 1 kind of expands on uh, the, the expands on Luke's concept and tells us that Christ not only brought forgiveness of sin, but also remediation of sin. All right? Remediation of sin. What is it that he says? He says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So we know that John was coming to bring a baptism of repentance for forgiveness of sin. But he explains and elaborates what that forgiveness is. It's not merely being forgiven. It is the idea here that the the sins are taken away. 
They're gone. Now, like we read earlier in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, what did we read? It's that God made him to be sin who knew no sin so that we might become the what? Righteousness of God. What do we become? The righteousness of God. It's not merely that our sins are forgiven. It's that in Christ, we are made righteous. That is to say that Christ uh, in Christ, our sinfulness is eliminated and we are declared righteous based on what Christ did. It's not our righteousness, it is His. We, the exchange happens, our sin for His righteousness. Jesus takes away our sin and He does this as the Lamb who would be slain. Now, Peter says this another way in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. Now, we're going to jump right into the middle of an idea here, but it's good for us to see this, this declaration that Peter makes about Jesus. All right, so it says this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. It says, knowing that you, now who's the you here? That's the church. It's Christians in general. Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. All right, now we're going we're gonna to chew on this verse a little bit later here, but what, what do we see in, in the baptism of Jesus? The lamb has come. Now how does Peter describe him? As the pure lamb, that lamb without blemish or spot. The one who came with no reason for repentance. John the Baptist's ministry is about repenting so that the people could have hearts to receive the Messiah. Jesus' ministry was not only about forgiveness of sins, but the ministry of Christ is about eliminating sin for those who place their faith in Jesus so John the Baptist's ministry is about preparing people for the coming of Jesus Christ. And at Jesus' baptism, what we get to see is that Jesus makes quite the entrance. He wants, the Lord wants people to know who he is. This lamb has come. The people are prepared. And now there gets to be a bit of a fireworks show. What does it tell us in our passage it says in Luke chapter uh, 3, verses 21 and 22, that when Jesus was baptized, the heavens opened up. The heavens opened up. And then we see that the Holy Spirit came down in bodily form like a dove. Now, this moment confirms that John the Baptist's ministry was real and valid. He had been waiting for the Lamb of God to come. The Lamb of God comes. Now, how do we know that Jesus really was the Messiah? All right, the, there's a sign in heaven that validates that Jesus is indeed the Lamb of God, the Messiah. What happens? The heavens open. The heavens open. This is something they can see. The Spirit descends bodily as a dove, which means they can see it with their eyes. And then it says that the voice of the Lord spoke, which means that they could hear it with their ears. God is speaking and declaring that this is His Son. 
This is the moment where all is confirmed that when John says, one is coming after me whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie, how many people does heaven open for and the Lord speak when they show up and then the Spirit come down like a dove? How many people does that happen for? Like one, right? Get one? So this is a huge indicator that Jesus is indeed who John was proclaiming would come. And then we hear the voice of the Lord approving of Jesus, saying, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And this moves us to the second reason why Jesus had to be baptized, why he was baptized. It is this, uh, this purpose, number two. God declares to the world that Jesus is his son at the baptism. Okay, so this is interesting. Now, I want you guys to think about the purpose of the book of Luke. Why did Luke write this book? What's he tell us back in chapter 1? So that those would have certainty in the things that they have been taught, right? And he says that he interviewed eyewitnesses. Now, I love the fact here that we have the, uh, the, 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 the heavens opening and the, the, the dove descending and the voice of the Lord. Now, that means these are eyewitnesses, right? And these eyewitnesses are processing the world with two senses, their eyes and their ears, where ears might be tricked and you think you heard something that wasn't quite right. Okay, The eyes confirm the heavens just opened and uh, uh, the Spirit of God descended like a dove. The eyes are confirming what the ears heard. Now, maybe your eyes are playing tricks on you, and really, you guys ever see the sun setting just right, and it looks through the clouds, and you get those beautiful rays, and you think, oh, it's so pretty, right? Okay, now, we might think, okay, that's really all that happened, but what do we have? The voice of the Lord confirming what our eyes see. These two senses working together, and we have eyewitness testimony to this. I'm just imagining Luke talking to somebody, hey, were you at Jesus' baptism? I was. It was crazy. You wouldn't believe it. Heaven's open. And we heard the voice of God. We saw the Spirit descend as a dove. There was no mistaking who this was. This is God's Son. Now what I love is that all the Gospels record this event. All the Gospels record this event. Matthew says the words of God were this in Matthew 3, 17. This is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. Now, Mark and uh, Luke change it just a tad. It says this, you are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. And then John doesn't record the event directly. He just talks about it. And we get the report of John the Baptist in John chapter 1, verses 32 through 34, which says this. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, on, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptized with the Holy Spirit. And what's his declaration? And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. This, this audible voice, this moment of Jesus' baptism... God himself is declaring that Jesus is his son. Now, Matthew couches these words of God as kind of a general message 
to the crowds that the crowd may know. But Luke and Mark couch these words as a personal message to Jesus that the crowd gets to overhear. Now, in either way, the crowd gets to benefit from the knowledge, from the knowledge that God is proclaiming Jesus as his son. But I love the fact that God addresses Jesus directly. This, this should confirm what, what you guys, uh, what Jesus already knew. This should confirm and affirm what Jesus already knew. Jesus knew that God was his father. He knew that what he was doing was pleasing his father. But you know what? It was good for him to hear it. It was good for him to hear it. Now, I want you as parents to just think about your children for a moment. Your children, hopefully, know you love them. Hopefully, they know you're pleased with them. But you know what your kids need to hear? Your kids need to hear from you that you love them and you're pleased with them. I want you to think about Jesus being presented as fully God and fully man. Right? He's 30 years old. He's a grown man. But you know what even grown men need to know about their dads? Even grown men need to know that their fathers love them and are proud of them. And what I love here in this moment is you get to see Jesus the man be declared the son of God, right? And I just imagine, like, as a son to get to hear from your dad, this, this is my boy. This is my boy. I'm well pleased. I love him. He matters to me. And if Jesus Christ, God's son, needed to hear that, I don't think it was just for our benefit, okay? Now, it is for our benefit. I am so glad God spoke and announced that Jesus Christ was his son. But I think it was for Jesus' benefit. He is fully God, but he is still fully man. And to have what you believed affirmed and confirmed at the beginning of his ministry had to have given him, in his humanity, confidence that his mission really was from the Lord and that he could go forward in power and authority as the Son of God. This is a huge moment, not just for the observers, but for God the Father to speak truth over his Son. And I want you guys to think back to the passage that we read in 1 Peter just a minute ago. That passage gives a, a cool little insight into one of Luke's major points at the baptism of Jesus that, that kind of fits right into God the Father's uh, little humble brag, if you will. All right? So Peter says that we, that is, that is humanity as a whole, have inherited the futile ways of sin from our forefathers, right? That's what we read as we looked at that first Peter passage, that we had inherited the futile ways of our sin from our forefathers. And, and Jesus Christ is a man, right? But has he inherited these uh, futile ways of sin? Now, this is, this is why it's so important to see how Luke tells his story, that he's reminding us that he's a man and that he's reminding us that he's the Son of God all at once. So where we have inherited the futile ways of men, 
When God is declaring Jesus as his son, he's saying something. He's saying Jesus is different. Where you guys inherited your futile ways of sin from your forefathers all the way back to Adam, this is my boy. He did not inherit the futile ways of sin like you did. So if we look at the the story, and we're not going to take time to study the genealogy of Jesus that's mentioned, but I want you guys to look in your Bible. If you're looking at your Bibles and you see the passage that we read today, what comes immediately next? What comes immediately after God the Father announces Jesus Christ as his son? We have the genealogy. And how does the genealogy of Jesus begin in verse 23? It says, Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age, being the son, as was supposed, of Joseph. I love that. Okay, so in the middle of this, uh, Jesus being declared the son of God, whom the father loves, we move into the genealogy of Jesus. And Jesus is declared to be the son of Joseph, supposedly, right? Not really. Remember, look at verse 22. Who's his his father? His father's not Joseph. His father is the father, God. Now, if we look through the genealogy and we we trace the line, which in Luke is most likely the line of Mary's family, back through David, we see it go through Abraham, we see it go to Adam, and then we find this verse in verse 38. So it's going through the, the genealogy, moving through the son of, the son of, the son of. We get to verse 38. The son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. Now, I love this, all right, where, where if, you cha- if, you, if you traced our, our line, right, all, our line on both mom's side and dad's side goes back to Adam. What we see here is is this funny little uh, uh, twist of words, play on words here, where he ends this with Son of God, where he's emphasizing his his divinity on his dad's side as Son of God, but it's almost like he's saying, but also, but also on mom's side, (laughs) through Adam, Son of God. We see this emphasis on on Jesus' humanity as the son of Adam, but where Adam is is a son of God, that, that sinned, Jesus Christ is the second Adam, and he's a better Adam without sin. Adam is a, is a son of God. Jesus is the son of God. And we get to see that distinction wrap up as we move through the genealogy. So, so this is a huge way to start off the ministry of Jesus. Luke wants us to know that even though he's a son of man, He is also the Son of God. Now, as we uh, think about these two reasons why Jesus was baptized, uh, I I think maybe we see them more as Jesus' baptism as as an opportunity than a necessity. Jesus' baptism was the opportunity to inaugurate the beginning of his public ministry. And God used the baptism of Jesus as an opportunity to proclaim Jesus as his Son. But have we really addressed the need yet? Why did he need to be baptized? Uh, Let's take a look at that today. And Luke doesn't really give that information very clearly, but I believe that we can see this from Matthew chapter 3 and understand why it was that Jesus needed to be baptized. So let's go ahead and look at our third purpose for Jesus' baptism, and that was that it was necessary to fulfill all righteousness. 
Jesus was baptized, his baptism was necessary to fulfill all righteousness. Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 17, says this. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan, to John, to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him. I love this, right? Like, John doesn't like the idea of baptizing Jesus. It kind of offends his practicality here. Why are you here? Shouldn't you be baptizing me? And then Jesus gives this answer. But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. To fulfill all righteousness. Now, whatever that was, it was a good enough argument that John conceded. It says, then John consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened up, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved Son, with whom I'm well pleased. Now, I think, I think in an honest moment, we would take John's side here. John is fully human. There's no part of him that is divine. He is a sinner, just like you and me. He was related to Adam on both sides of his family tree. All right, so, so how is it that Jesus wants John to baptize him? Not only that, but you have to think that John was like, bro, what, what, what are you repenting of anyway? Don't you know what I'm doing? Like, why are you here? What are you repenting of anyway? And then Jesus' answer is, it's fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Now, in Matthew's gospel, these are the very first words of Jesus. The first time, if you've got a red-letter Bible, and you want to flip through them, the first time red shows up in the book of Matthew is this right here, where Jesus says, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Now, Matthew's the most Jewish of all the Gospels that we have. And Matthew's point here is to show how Jesus is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. And Jesus' first words were about fulfilling, were about fulfillment. So we need to ask the question, how does Jesus' baptism fulfill all righteousness? And the answer is this, that Jesus is our substitute. Jesus is our substitute. Now, when we think of Jesus as our substitute, we think about him as the one who was our substitute who took the penalty for our sin. Right? So uh, he's our substitute in that his death counts for ours. So he went to the cross and he died in our place. We know that our sin deserves death. But Christ is our substitute and that he went to the cross, okay? But it's not just that he's the substitute that paid for our sin. He is also our substitute in terms of righteousness. We get his righteousness. He takes our sin and punishment. We get his righteousness. His righteousness is credited to us. So as a result, Jesus sets the perfect example of what to do. It's not just about what 
not to do, but he sets the perfect example of what to do. So not only does Jesus abstain from the things that we should not do, he sets the example of perfect obedience in what it is to walk under the, the, the submission to the Father. Now, we know that Luke wrote the book of Acts. Okay? We know that Luke wrote the, the book of Acts sort of as a volume two to his work here in Luke. All right, so Luke tells us this in Acts chapter 2, verses 37 through 38. Now, I'm going to set the context here. This is, uh, this is Pentecost. Peter, uh, Jesus had ascended. The Holy Spirit had come, and Peter comes out, and he's spirit-filled, and he is uh, preaching this great sermon where he called out the people of Jerusalem for their involvement in the death of Jesus, and he preaches about the resurrection and how Jesus was raised from the dead. And then the people were rocked by this message. And what does the, the crowd say? Verse 37, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Does that sound familiar? What we saw in John the Baptist's ministry, what shall we do? Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and what? Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Do you see that connection back to Luke? What shall we do? Peter says, repent and be baptized. Now the command here is clear. Now we're thinking about Jesus. Yes, he eliminates sin, right? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He eliminates sin. But what else do we see? We see that he moves forward in doing the things that are required of us. He not only abstains, but he does uh, he follows through in obedience. So I want you to think about this also. What was the, the last command of Jesus, the Great Commission? This is what he uh, is recorded for us in Matthew before Jesus ascended. In Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 through 20 says this, and this is one when most of us have memorized. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So what do we see here? Just like Peter in the book of Acts, there's the command to be baptized, right? Here Jesus says, all right, go into all the world and baptize. The command for those who believe in Jesus, who've accepted him, who've repented of their sin, the command is to be baptized. So why did Jesus have to do this? Why did Jesus need to be baptized? To fulfill all righteousness. His obedience is credited to us. So what does Jesus need to do? Jesus needs to set the example of humble obedience to the Father. He sets out in obedience to fulfill what the Father has commanded. And so when we look back, we can see Jesus as the example, not only of what it means to live a sinless life, but we can see that Jesus lived an example of humble submission. Now there's this article that I, I read this week from uh, the Gospel Coalition, and I really in, enjoyed the way it was uh, unpacked. Uh, and it's this idea here, and I can't remember the guy's name, and I can't find it in my notes. Uh, but uh, the idea here is that, that Jesus, being the perfect son of God, to, to have a uh, baptism of repentance is a sign of total humiliation. He had nothing to repent of. Why did he do it? To show the, the links that Jesus would go to to obey the Father, 
to walk forward in a spirit of obedience. Now, we know that in Philippians chapter 2, that he would be obedient to death, even death on a cross. How humble was Jesus? Nothing stood in his way from obedience to the Father. How righteous was Jesus? Completely, not only in lack of sin, but that he moved forward in perfect obedience. So he's baptized that that, uh, he might fulfill all righteousness. Now, what I love that Paul does is he says much more than this uh, uh, humiliation that Jesus demonstrates in his um, repentance, this, and, and not in his repentance, in his baptism, Paul goes as far as to say that, that Jesus' baptism, that baptism in general, is a sign of our unity with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. So as we're reading the book of Luke, as we see him being baptized, Paul says you should almost see this as, as a foretelling of what's going to happen in the end, a little foreshadowing of what's going to happen. That there is symbolism in the, the uh, burial of Jesus as he's plunged beneath the water and symbolism in the resurrection. And that as we are baptized, we are united in Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. This comes from Romans chapter 6, verses 3 through 4, which says this, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. When we are baptized, what happened today when Kate was baptized is a symbol of us walking in obedience, the same obedience of Christ, where Christ took that obedience to the point of death and he was laid in the grave plunged beneath the water, and then Christ was raised from the dead. And our unity with Christ is symbolized in ours being plunged beneath the water and raised again from the dead. We're plunged into his death. I want you to think about the hymn that we sing every now and then, There is a Fountain. There is a Fountain is perhaps the most disturbing song we sing. Listen to the lyrics of the first verse. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. That song is a poetic representation of what happens in baptism. Now praise the Lord, we're not baptized in blood. That would be weird, right? But in essence, it is a symbol of what it means to be united with Christ in his death. Christ died. His blood is shed. He was buried. We're united with him in his death. He rose from the dead. We're united with him in his resurrection. Now, this is a sign, a sign of our unity with Christ. Who is it a sign for? What is a sign for us? But it is also a sign for the church. Why is this commanded for all who believe? Our faith is that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Our faith is that Jesus was uh, killed, buried, and rose from the dead. We're placing our faith in that. And now we're walking in repentance. 
We are taking God's side against our sin. We're walking away from the things that we've been called to walk away from, and we're walking forward in righteousness. We are walking forward in obedience. And what is our first sign of obedience? That act of obedience is baptism. That baptism is for us to show we are submitting to Christ as Lord, which is why we ask those two questions. Do you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And then we ask, are you ready to follow Him as Lord of your life? The first thing that we're commanded to do as followers of Jesus Christ is be baptized. So if we have placed our faith in Jesus Christ and we call Him Lord then our confession that He is Lord is stepping out in obedience as a sign to ourselves, to a sign to God, and a sign to the church that we actually accept Jesus Christ as Lord. Now remember, it is faith first, then obedience. Faith first, then obedience. It is not obey and be baptized to be saved. It is believe and be saved and walk forward in the obedience of baptism. This is our confession to ourselves, to the Lord, and to the church. I love what Romans 10, verses 9 and 10 says. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And we should see baptism as an opportunity to confess to the church that we have placed our faith in Jesus Christ and that He is Lord. Even to the point of humiliation. Even to the point of a little embarrassment. Even to the point of stretching our shyness. It's saying, I'm with Him I'm in him, and he is in me. It's our first sign of repentance. It's easy for us to say, maybe it's not that easy, but it's easy for us to say, I'm walking away from my sin. I'm putting this behind me. I know I'm going to fall again. I know I'm going to mess up again, but I know the Lord will forgive me. It's quite another thing to walk forward in obedience to do the things that God has called us to do, especially when they stretch us, especially when they push us, when they make us uncomfortable. Now, in, in our world, living in the 21st century America, being baptized doesn't cost us much. In fact, we believe here that it's a requirement for membership, so you actually gain something. We believe this is so important that we require baptism as membership as Jefferson Avenue Baptist Church. But in other countries, and other lands, they realize how big a deal baptism is. That baptism is a sign saying, I reject the past. I reject what was, and I'm walk, walking forward in obedience. In some cultures and community, being baptized means you lose your family. In some cultures and communities, it means you're ostracized. In some cultures and communities, it can even mean you're marked, perhaps for death, or maybe just a beating if you're lucky. It comes with a great cost. But here, in the United States, it's an opportunity to tell the world, to tell our church who Christ is, and it, it, it actually costs you very, very little. And yet sometimes it's still quite challenging. 
So as we move into the, uh, the, the time of our service where we respond to the message, my, my challenge to you is this. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ and you've never been baptized, my question to you is why? What's holding you back? What's keeping you from taking that step? If you're here and you think, I'm ready to do that. I've placed my faith in Jesus. I have said I've repented. Now I'm ready to walk forward in obedience. Then as we sing these songs, just come. Talk to me. I'd love to to talk with you a little bit about what it means uh, to, to be baptized and what it means to take those next steps. But if you're here and you think, man, I continue to see the story of Luke unfold, and we continue to see how, how Jesus Christ is portrayed as, uh, portrayed, uh, as uh, son of God and son of man, and, and we see how his life was perfect and sinless, and, and I can see how he's my substitute. And you want to know more about what it is to place your faith in Jesus Christ and repent of your sin, then I, I'd, I'd love to talk with you about that as well. Or maybe you're here today and you think, I know somebody who's lost. I know somebody who needs Jesus. And you want to take this time to pray for them. However God is moving in your hearts and lives, as we sing these next songs, go ahead and lift those needs to him.